All right, everyone, happy new year. All right, I'm going to keep on saying that as long as it's like appropriate to do so because it's a season of new changes, right? So speaking of new changes, what we want to do is continue in some new holy habits. And this year, one of the things we want to do is we want to grow in prayer. And so what we want to do in the morning time, at least today, is to break up into groups of two or three to pray. Now, uh, recently the board and I met and we went through Acts chapter 2 because we wanted to learn from the early church. And one of the things that we were struck by is the early church, like one of the top things they would do is pray together. And a lot of times in the American church, you can go to our service and have us not even pray. And so there's a real opportunity now to love and to encourage someone right next to you. So what do you say we take this opportunity, get into like pairs, maybe two would be preferable, maybe three, and let's pray for the person next to you. Now, I realize that we have kids and youth. Sorry, you guys will have to pray in your classes. So we're going to uh, dismiss the kids and dismiss the youth, and uh, and then everyone else can kind of get into pairs of two, pairs of three. And because it's new, I'm going to walk us through this step by step. So why don't we start pairing up, okay? All right, some of you are already getting ahead, which is cool. Let me just uh, share a few words of engagement uh, rules, okay? Uh, Number one is you're totally invited to pray, but if you're not comfortable, you can certainly decline. You can say no thanks. You can say I'm good, all right? So you, you have that permission to do that. Or you can just pray in the quietness of your own heart. That's also available too, all right? So what I'd like you to do is just really quickly, because we don't have much time, and the more time that we share, the less time we pray. In one sentence, can you just articulate a prayer request that you have? One sentence, okay? And we're just going to go back and forth, have everyone share. In like 50 seconds, I'm going to start us off in prayer, and then you guys are going to continue by praying for one another, and then I'll close a little bit later, okay? One sentence, share a prayer request. Go ahead. All right, I have a feeling that's more than a sentence. Um, Just kidding. Uh, Let's have the other person share. And the last person share if you're in a third. All right, would you please bow your heads and pray with me and then for the other person after I pray. Father God, you are the creator of all things. You have given life to our souls and to our our bodies. Jesus Christ, you are the redeemer. 
You are the one who died for us on the cross. And Holy Spirit, you are the sustainer and you're here right now sustaining our prayers. Give us love and give us words to pray for the other person and just to encourage them. Now, church, go ahead and just pray for the person next to you. Father, the scripture says that they shall call your house a house of prayer. And just as I was looking at your people praying, it just felt right. Be glorified through these prayers as we lift up the needs of the person next to us, really to the only one who can truly, truly provide. And so we trust you with that need. You are a great provider, you are a great father. You give to us, and you know what we're going to ask even before we ask it. So thank you, and we just acknowledge that we can trust you with that prayer request, and we can trust you with all of our needs. Father, we have a need this morning. We need to know you better. We need to understand. And so I pray for the message component of our service, that you would open minds and hearts so that we can have a better understanding of who you are. Father, we would, we would not be able to know about you unless you revealed yourself to us and we have 
you have through your word. So speak to us through your word, through the teaching of your word, and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Please do more than our prepared words could ever do. Give us an understanding of you that's mysterious, profound, and leads to worship and wonder. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, for our We Are CLC time uh, and before the message, we want to invite our family development director, our children's minister and family development director. Let's welcome Cecil as he talks to us about the exciting plans that he's, uh, by God's grace, cooking up for us this year. So uh, let's give this time to Cecil, and I'll be around for like some commentary. Enhancement. Yes. Yes. Well, good morning. This year, we're going to continue with our family development series. There's going to be seven, eesh, seven seminars that talk about spiritual formation for our families. You know, with the day-to-day, it's easy to get distracted from the bigger picture of uh, a spiritual identity in Christ for us, for our families especially, from parenting, um, and so I hope through these seminars, we're going we're to talk about things that revolve around our kids growing up from birth to 18. It was a larger goal in men. Like, how do we do that? There's going to be seven milestones we're going to get into. And each milestone has related events and practical activities in addition to the teaching. I'll mention that a little bit later. But the milestones begin with parents just dedicating themselves and their children to this spiritual growth process. Milestone two, we'll be talking about faith and baptism, the very core of our identity in Christ. Uh, Milestone three is going to be preparing for adolescence and starting conversations about all the pressures and the challenges that come up in those um, four, six, seven years. Uh, Milestone four will be focused on commitment to purity, around sexual purity, biblical purity. Uh, from there, we move on to milestone five, which is the rite of passage. Really, what does it mean to, you know, move farther and farther away from being a kid towards being an adult, you know, in addition to getting car keys and maybe a smartphone or whatnot, right? Uh, milestone six is high school graduation and getting ready for college. And then finally, milestone seven is life in Christ, just maturity. What does that look like? And in these seminars, I hope to share with you tools to help you navigate from one milestone to the next. Things like faith talks, uh, God moments, and actually celebrating the milestones. Now, I mentioned, you know, related activities, practical, uh, related events and practical activities. I'll just share a few of them. The first seminar on parent dedication, if you decide to commit to that role, we're going to give you this crate, uh, like a toolbox, that's the idea, with some resources to start you off around marriage, around discipleship, um, you know, working with your kids, devotionals. Um, milestone two, faith and baptism. If your child's ready and you want them to, we can have a baptism for them here in church. Um, and then milestone three to five, you know, planning weekends with your kids to talk about specific topics with activities to bond, to educate, to encourage. 
Um, yeah, so I'm really excited about that. And I know uh, Andrew's going to enhance this, this sharing here. Okay. <laughs> well, here it comes. Um, I, I wanted to be a part of the presentation because when Cecil was explaining these plans to me, I was really excited. And I was really excited for the rest of you, too, because in hearing these uh, milestone legacy seminars, I, I kind of know some of the needs of the congregation and our parents. And I'm like, you know, this really would resonate. This would really meet a lot of needs that are inside the church. And even for my own family and our own parenting, it was, this would really hit home. Uh, I think for Raina and I, we have a, a preteen at home. So... Um, our oldest son is about to become a teenager, and frankly, we are scared, right? Because we've heard stories about the next life stage and how crazy it can be. And so we've been having conversations at home, like, how can we prepare for this? And because we're, you know, I mean, right around the corner, there's puberty and hormones and talks on sexual purity. And so we want to get ready. And so that seminar is really piquing our interest, and I know for the, the, the rest of the parents here, uh, you might be wondering, like, how do I know if my child is ready for baptism? Like, what are the indicators? How would I know? And how would I even get in a conversation that that might lead towards them wanting to be baptized? Or we've been talking about, like, family devotions, and maybe some of you are wondering, like, hey, that sounds great. How do I do it? Can you give me some resources? And I think these seminars are really about putting those resources in your hands and walking you through it. And so, um, and then, you know, I know there's just, I, I think every parent here, if you're like, hey, would you like to be a mentor and a discipler to your child? You'd be like, yeah, I just don't know how. Can you give me some resources? Can you give me some tools? And I think these seminars and the practical activity are all about giving you resources, equipping you, Let's do this together. And so I'm loving what's, what's um, coming uh, to all you guys this year for family development. Um, I just want to make sure that you're clear. It's not going to be some kind of programmatic, formulaic thing uh, for every, like a cookie cutter you know, pattern. Um, it's really creating time and space for us to talk about it, to think about it, so that uh, we can take biblical principles and apply them to who we are, what our kids are like, where they're at. So I just want to encourage you that, you know, I'm going to try hard to not make it weird or awkward, that you're going to think about the content and say, you know, that's not for me. But to really figure out how do I grow spirituality in my home, for me, for my kids, that it's out of grace. It's not pressure. It's not manipulation. It's not guilting. Right? It is by the Holy Spirit. So I look forward to empowering you and, and, and equipping you with resources, with a strategy, a big picture strategy to keep your eye on that goal. All right, let's give Cecil a hand. All right, here's a, a vulnerable confession for today. Um, today we're talking about the, the nature of God. And so I'm, I'm, I've been coming into Sunday with a, a bit of fear of trembling, and I think rightly so. But then I was meeting with the other pastors, and they're like, well, well yeah, fear and trembling, but, 
but isn't the nature of God also joy too? I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, okay. So fear and trembling and joy. Uh, um, so in that spirit, would you all rise and we're just going to pray and then we're just going to we're just going to go for it, okay? Uh, Father, I we're going to try in the next thirty minutes to articulate your nature, and uh, we're going to use words and your scripture, but we're really going to need a lot of help. Father, we, we want to open these scriptures and enter this time with fear and trembling, but also remembering your very nature is love and grace. And so we can just take a deep breath. I can take a deep breath and just remember, you know, there's also joy in who you are. Uh, and so uh, I pray, Father, that you would be speaking to our hearts and showing us more and more what you're like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, so I don't know if you know, but we are doing something a little different today. It is a joint teaching. And so Pastor Calvin and Pastor Ahn are each going to make a contribution to the teaching today. And so, okay, I see the smiles. Okay, hold it. Let me explain. Um, our triune God inspires us, right? So it means that even though the three of us are quite different as teachers, it means that we can have a common unity. There's, there's unity amid diversity, okay? So that's why we're doing it this way. Um, so don't be like poking fun at us or like smiling or calling us the Holy Trinity, okay? I mean, that's as far as the illustration goes. There's unity amid diversity. And, uh, and, and doing it this way, I hope, is going to be illustrative, but it's also going to be richer, all right? We're in a series about the Holy Spirit. Today, we're taking a big step back and not just talking about the Holy Spirit, but about the Trinity. When it comes to the nature of God, it can be a little bit more than confusing for a lot of people. And so we have questions. We have God the Father. We have God the Son. We have God the Holy Spirit. So are there three gods? What about roles? Does each member of the Trinity have a different role? By the way, we, we punted that question to Calvin. So Calvin's going to come and give us his bet shot at answering that question about roles. And I've heard the Trinity explained, maybe you have too, as like the illustration people might use to explain the nature of the Trinity is like three forms of water. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but there's three forms of water, like solid and liquid and gas. Is that a good illustration? Here's the last question. What does the nature of God teach us about ultimate reality? I know that's kind of philosophical, but I think that's a really important question. So let me unpack that a little bit more, okay? To talk about the nature of God is to talk about the nature of ultimate reality. Are we in agreement there? You talk about the nature of God, you're talking about the nature of ultimate reality. Um, if we believe that God created the universe including ourselves, then his nature is going to be the driving force for your very existence. Are we all together on that? Um, 
when you wake up tomorrow morning, whatever you believe about divine reality is going to be the driving inspiration of that day and, dare I say, even of your life. So, for example, if, if there was no God and we're created by random chance through an evolutionary process, then ultimate reality is survival of the fittest. And that would, I suppose, inspire your life. It would have to in large measure. If ultimate reality is the, de- the denial of desire, then that's how you're going to live your life. That's how you're going to live your day. If the ultimate reality is a cosmic, impersonal force, then that's going to be the driving, inspirational drive of your life. So what is true about ultimate reality? What is the very nature of God? And how does that inform and inspire our lives? I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and skip to the answer to that. Um, just for sake of clarity, the Trinity shows us that God in his very nature is love. And so ultimate reality is love. Now, if this is true, this has profound implications for our lives. And then on, after Calvin is going to come up and talk about this. Oh, so but then I'm here to do my part, right? So why don't we start with my part? Uh, my part is to explain what Christians believe about the nature of God as Trinity. And I'm going to do my best. What do we believe? Let me first say this. The nature of God is mystery. God is unfathomable. He is uncontainable to the human mind. From this mystery comes wonder. From this mystery comes amazing beauty. Now, having said that, we have the written word of God, which allows us to piece together the nature of God. And what we do see from the Bible is a Trinitarian God. We believe there is one God in three persons. Let me hear you guys guys say one God in three persons. One God in three persons who know and love one another. God is not more than, God is not more one than he is three. God is not more three than he is one. That's an important statement right there. God is not tritheism, which believes that three, there are three gods who work in harmony with one another. God is not unipersonalism, the notion that sometimes God takes one form and then sometimes he takes another form. Our God is a Trinitarian God. Now, let me back that up through the scripture for the next five minutes. Um, if you want to flip with your Bible through with me, that's cool. Otherwise, we're just going to uh, show the, the verses on the, on the screen. Deuteronomy 6.4 says this. These are famous words known as the Shema, okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, and what's that next word? Okay, every good uh, Jew and every good Christian knows this verse, right? The Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So, boom, right there, it's, it's clear, it's settled, God is one. Whoa, but wait a minute, wait a minute. You go to Philippians 2.6, and you read uh, this great, amazing poem about Jesus Christ, 
And then the scripture says that we should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. No, no, look at these verses. Who being in the very nature God. So the word here for nature means possessing all the characteristics and qualities of something here, namely God. Now I give a couple more scriptures in the outline that demonstrate that Jesus is God. And then, and then there's the Holy Spirit. Now you go to Acts 5, 3, 4 and you see this. Okay, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Okay, so who did Ananias lie to? The Holy Spirit, right? Now you skip down the 4B. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to, and what's the next word? God. So what you see is that the Holy Spirit and God is used interchangeably. So from these scriptures, you go, the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God, Father God is God, wait a second, what about Deuteronomy 6, God is one. Well, you got three, Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God, then you got one, how do you make sense of this, how do you reconcile this, which one is it, is it three, is it one, is it three, is it one, and the answer is yes, it's both. God is no more three than one. God is no more one than three. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says that we should baptize people in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You have a Trinitarian formula. Three distinct members, all in the same sentence, which conveys equality of essence and being. God is three. God is one. He is no more three than one. He is no more one than three. Many of us go, okay, I don't get it. And I'm not really sure you're supposed to. There is mystery in the nature of God, and that mystery leads to wonder, and that mystery leads to amazing beauty. There have been teachers who have tried to explain the very nature of God to us, and they've said things like, oh, his nature is like water, three forms of water, gas, liquid, and solid. Is that a good illustration? No, it's not. Uh, That's making God um, more one than he is three. It's actually making God... um, uh, one, but in three different forms. It's, uni- it's a form of unipersonalism. People have said God is like a three-leaf clover or like an egg. Okay, and my first response would be like, no, no, we're, we're not. We did not just say that, okay? That's my first response. But the, the three-leaf clover, it's, it's, again, it's a form of unipersonalism. And uh, likening the nature of God to an egg, you know, shell, egg white, yolk, that is making God more three than one. I'm sorry, no, you can't explain something as beautiful and as wonderful as the nature of God as a human illustration or something that we can liken it to. God is a mystery. He is three. He is one. Okay, now Calvin will come up here and talk about the different roles of each member of the Trinity. And then on, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what this all means in terms of ultimate reality 
an application. Can we give a warm hand to our brother? So what are the different roles of each person in the Trinity? Well, it sounds like a simple question, but if we seriously dig deeper, the answer is not so clear-cut or definitive. And also when I share about roles, these roles don't really make any sense unless there's a particular purpose or a context. Because the nature of God, being God in three persons and at the same time also being one, is such a mystery, although a very beautiful mystery. God is not more one than he is three, and he is not more three than he is one. And this even applies to the roles. The action of any one of the persons of the Trinity is actually actions in which all three participate. And even so, here is what we can see from the Bible. And the Bible is the only biblical record that can give us evidence as to the particular roles that we can derive for the Trinity. So, in the grand plan of the redemption of humankind, which gives context and purpose to these roles, we see the different members of the Trinity taking on different primary roles. So, from Scripture, I can see God is the creator, Jesus is the redeemer, and the Holy Spirit is the sustainer. So, again, God the Father is creator, Jesus the Son, the redeemer, and the Holy Spirit is the sustainer. So where do we see Father God in his role as creator? Well, obviously, from the beginning of the Bible, in the creation story, in Genesis 1-1, we see God as the creator. Genesis 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created in the heavens and and the earth, pretty much clearly stating here in verse 1 that God created the world. Also in Psalm 139, verse 13, King David praised God for, for him being fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. So if Father God is creator, Jesus is the redeemer. Mankind is broken by sin, and Father God had a grand plan to fix that problem through his son, Jesus, who plays the role of Savior and Redeemer. From Ephesians 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul wrote this about Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In Revelations 5, verse 9, the author wrote, referring to Jesus, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language, people and nation. So Jesus paid the ransom for our sins. Through his blood, our debts are paid. So essentially, Jesus redeemed us through his act on the cross and the spilling of his blood. Therefore, that makes Jesus the Redeemer. So if Father God is creator, Jesus the redeemer, the Holy Spirit the sustainer, from John 14, verse 16 to 17, Jesus told his disciples at the Last Supper that he was leaving them soon. And before he uh, would leave, he would leave them the Holy Spirit called the helper, the spirit of truth. 
So reading from verse 16 to 17 from the chapter 14 of John, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, being the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And Jesus continues in John 16, verse 7, that Jesus said he would leave the Holy Spirit to take his place and that he would have to depart so that the Holy Spirit could come. The verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So that word helper in in the scripture passage that I just read Here is for the Holy Spirit. And that word translated means advocate or counselor. So the role of the Holy Spirit is to help us, sustain us, and guide us in our daily lives. And as promised, he will be with us for eternity. God is creator. Jesus is the redeemer. And the Holy Spirit is the sustainer. Now, these are given these roles. How can we practically realize these these concepts in our daily lives and for me and maybe this will be helpful for you whenever I'm out in nature when I'm uh, out at the beach and I'm watching the sunsets at the ocean or when I'm hiking in the mountains and I'm looking at the peaks when I see my children I am awed by father's God's amazing and wonderful creations. When we have communion, I remember Jesus as the Redeemer as I partake of the simple elements during the Lord's Supper. And each day, I ask for the Spirit's, Holy Spirit's help to make it through another day as my sustainer and serve God in this world to fulfill his calling in my life. Now, given that these are their roles, how do the persons of the Trinity relate to one another? How do they work together? How do they coordinate together? And this is where the Trinity model for us something called submission. Normally, when people hear submit or subordinate, people think oppression. But in the Trinity, that is not the case. It is an act of love and beauty, and it is not being stepped on, but stepping aside so that someone else can shine, to allow another to be glorified. So how do the three persons of the Trinity not figuratively step on each other's toes in their distinctive roles? Well, from the Bible, we see a beautiful, loving picture of submission within the Trinity with God having the role of headship in the Trinity. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, the head of Christ is God. Therefore, from that scripture, we see that Jesus subordinates himself to the headship of God the Father. From John 5, verse 19, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. So from these words, we see Father God has authority over Jesus. Jesus doesn't do anything unless he sees his Father doing that also. 
And in the submission of Jesus, his submission to God the Father, we actually see Jesus' greatness. And from John 16, verse 13 to 14, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit receiving authority from him. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, referring to the Holy Spirit, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, being Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So here, the scripture is clearly showing that the Holy Spirit subordinates himself to Jesus. So what we see here is how the Trinity works within himself. And there is a beauty in this mutual submission. Father God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, each being God in loving relationship with the Trinity as one, model for us ultimate reality, which is love. Now, Pastor An will now talk more about what this ultimate reality is and how it can apply to us. Hey, church. You know, so far uh, we heard uh, the nature of God. That God is no more than three, than he is one, then he is no more one, than he is three. And how the Trinity is a, it's this mystery that leads us into um, this wonder and amazing beauty. One being in three persons. Uh, Pastor Calvin talked about the roles, right? The roles are that in the work of the redemption, there are primary roles that God the Father is the creator, Jesus is the redeemer, and the Holy Spirit is the sustainer. But the action of one of the persons, right, of the Trinity, actually has the participation of all three. And it leads us to now the ultimate reality, which is really the nature of God. You know, the ultimate reality is that this world that God created by this triune God, um, before time it began, it began by the existence of three of them, by three persons that loved one another within the Trinity infinitely, and that God desires this love for all of us. Turn with me to Mark 1, 9 through 11. And uh, this is our, one of our final verses for um, this morning. It says, um, At that time, Jesus came to Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and a spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and it says, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I read this part of the scripture over and over and over again. And I think of John, the baptizer. I think of the people that are in this river seeing Jesus baptized. And I see all of a sudden God opening up the heavens and talking to his son. Now, what we see here, distinctly we see three persons here. During his baptism, Jesus, you see as three persons here. It's the spirit descending on Jesus, the son who's being baptized, and the father who is speaking words of affirmation. One God, three persons. Now, what we see here, we see movement. We see that the father movements towards the son, the son to the father, and the spirit onto the son. Now, you see, our human condition 
the desire for what God desires for us is that to experience this ultimate reality that God has for us, which is this, this love. You see, we're all invited to love. You, me, your hairstylist, your favorite coffee, barista, your mom, your cousin, your coworker. But what we don't see here is that we don't see that these three persons are disconnected. We don't see them not listening to one another. We don't see them not being present. And more importantly, we don't see a non-love towards one another. They're in unity. You know, we hear this term a lot, right? God is love. And this term derives from 1 John 4.19. It says that we love because he first loved us. And my favorite John 3.16 is actually 1 John 3.16. It says that we know what love is is what, what Christ did on the cross for us. And what we ought to do to one another. You know, love is the, uh, a demonstration from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Constantly praising, enjoying, and delighting in serving each other. See, each person of the Trinity voluntarily and consciously delights in one another rather on their own. So they are selfless than selfish. Now, this morning, by a show of hands, who here is selfish? Some people are kind of like, eh, right here, right? If I had a chance with another, my, both my hands would be up. I know I'm selfish. And if you didn't raise your hand, you're probably the most selfish person here. I'm just saying, right? You're probably the person that's stacking up your plates in the snack hall after service today. Right? But sometimes for us to understand how selfish we could be, we have to recognize how selfish we can be and what we actually are. So if God created the world to share his infinite, selfless, abiding love, That was God being selfless, not being selfish. See, the ultimate reality is that loving one another is what the Trinity is about. It's what God is about. So when we say God is love, that's the truth. He wants this selfless love. Because as humans, we could be as the most selfish people here that he created. You know, God created the world for us not just to get love, Right? But God created this world for us to give love. You know, God's been enjoying um, this eternal love that he has in this trinity that's pouring into one another and adoration for one another, serving one another. They're infinite seeking to actually give glory to one another. So God's infinite desire in itself is he's happy. He's totally content. In a sense, he didn't even need us. But this is where it gets kind of crazy. The Trinity is self-centerless and self-giving. That's why he created us. So that we can love or be loved. You know, no person in the Trinity insists that the others serve or orbit or revolves around them. Instead, they voluntarily circle each other. So how can this apply to us? You know, if God desires for us to understand this ultimate reality of knowing and loving one another, it's about authentic relationships. You know, when I think about ways that we can move towards application, 
something always moves me. And for me, it's always music. It's always a way to praise. I'm going to call up um, our pianist, and she's going to kind of set the mood for us just to kind of move our hearts towards just really thinking about how can we apply this. So are you selfless or are you selfish for relationships? Like what are you going to do to move your heart in here that goes to your feet that actually changes and puts action from what you hear on a Sunday to actually begin on a Monday? You know, um, I was on vacation for about two weeks. Um, and it was a, a mental rest for me. I wasn't sick per se, but I think my, 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 my mind and my heart just needed to rest. But <laughs> on this two week of vacation, um, I didn't want to do ministry. And God was like, that's cool. That's what you want to do. I have other plans for you. So ministry came to me for two weeks, literally. Ichan said that I have this face that says, Come, tell me your life story, your hurts, your desires, your worries, so that I could just pour into you. And I was like, no, no, I don't want to do it. But I did because I want to love. I want to love selflessly. In the middle of 16 guys in L.A. for a bachelor party, here I am ministering to somebody in the house. On a way to a game that we had, I saw... um, a mother and a daughter waiting by the bus stop and my heart just said, I need to call you Uber, wherever you're going to go. And the mother told me that they just want to go to McDonald's. And it was like, I have a daughter just your age. Have fun. And I called him an Uber. Last week in this very same room, the Holy Spirit moved one of our young adults to submit to him. This young adult was selfish in the ways that they wanted what a church to be like, what they thought worship is. At that very moment, God broke them to show them their selflessness, to be selfless, to submit to the Lord. And they made a decision to actually not submit to the Lord, but to call CLC home and to reveal more about things that is resting with them to see the Lord. So, Maybe you're here this morning just selling, just going to church, but not connecting and just kind of just life-giving, deep relationships. And maybe that step with God is that you're limiting God because you limit God to just only on a Sunday. And every other day of the week, you really want to, don't want that relationship outside that. Because if it's worth pursuing, if it takes you're out of your comfort zone, and I get it. It's work, it's time, there's kids, you're an introvert, there's social anxiety, and there's so much more. But if the ultimate reality is that we are all called to be moving towards relationships, deep and authentic relationships that express love, joy, connection, and everything that comes with the goodness of the triune God, then is this the value for you to pursue it? To actually seek it? Because maybe it's really easy being selfish to love you on your own terms, to love even your family when it's more comfortable, and when the conditions are just right for you not to move any much more. 
But if God invites you to connect and to love, then where are you right now in your life right now to do that? In your season, in your posture, or where you are at. Maybe it's in a home group. Maybe it's you to start to be in a home group. Maybe it's you to disciple because you've been discipled. Maybe it's for you to care a little much, much more that God's starting to be. Maybe right now you're not feeling this. Maybe it's not the perfect timing for you to actually do it. But maybe this is the right time for you to acknowledge your selfishness, for you to be selfless, for this triune God, this ultimate reality that God has for you. Because you're here. You're here because of his love. And I just want to say from here, from the front of our, our church, that God loves you so much. God adores you in languages that we can't even understand when we sing, different cultural barriers, social economic backgrounds, even what city you're from, that God loves you and he adores you. My wife always tells me this all the time. She says, you have this knack to just tell people that you love them even when you just first met them. And I said, it's because I do. It's not my love to give. It's really God's love to give. And why don't you do the same? To kind of push you a little bit. I'm going to call up Pastor Andrew as he's going to close us in prayer. So church, will you join me in prayer? A few last words to close this message about the Trinity. Here it is. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things.